Okay, thank you, Maria. And uh, <clears throat> I've just set my time, so I've got a rough idea of where I'm at, uh, but feel free to give me a nudge if I do run over. Uh, okay, so I'm Paul, and I'm an alcoholic, and I'm a member of um, adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families. And thanks for having me, and uh, thanks, Cash, for, for asking me. And uh, I was I was procrastinating over this. He asked me a few months ago, and then <laughs> I said, "Oh, uh, can we arrange it for the end of the month?" He's like, "Yeah, sure, no problem." Um, however, do you want to do it this week? So, mm, right, okay. So I know, I knew I was putting it off, kind of thing. And um, <clears throat> that's something I've done uh, in some way, shape, or form for a long time. I've put things off that I knew I needed to deal with, and. For a while, I could just suppress it and push it to one side and pretend it didn't exist, and that was one of my one of my coping strategies. And I didn't realise that I was like I don't know, tidying up your bedroom when you're a kid, throw a teddy bear in the in the cupboard in the wardrobe, and eventually, of course, you go to open the wardrobe door and put another teddy bear in it, and you've got a deluge, and it's everywhere, and that's. Um, that's what it felt like. I was so so a little bit of a <clears throat> kind of um, I suppose a how I got here type thing. I, I need to do it in reverse order. Otherwise, I'm just going to jump around in time, like I've also done a lot of my life, and it won't make a lot of sense. So I'll try and give it some linearity. So where I am now, um, I'm working through the Tony A steps again. I've worked through the majority of the Yellow Workbook. I got somewhere, that's the, the, the kind of official 12 steps in ACA. And um, I had a preference for my inner child for the Tony A steps. Step nine particularly jumps out to me, um, which kind of communicates to me that if I've got enough love for myself, eventually I've got enough to pass on to other people. And in the past, the step nine I was used to was I've done something wrong, and, of course, I took that completely on board. I was still feeling like I owed the whole world. Anybody that knew me, I still felt like I owed them amends. So by the time I'd got to ACA, I've already gone through the 12 steps uh, in AA. I've gone through the 12 steps in SLA. I've gone through the 12 steps in Overeaters Anonymous. Um, so I've gone through the, the, the 12 steps actually in, in five different fellowships and sponsored other people. And in each and every case, what I didn't realise was with all of those different addictions that I was actually practising one addiction, which I heard described in a share recently, which is I was addicted to abandonment, to abandoning myself and to abandoning other people. And I've got some feedback in one step five with an AA sponsor. He said, have you noticed, Paul, that you have these eruptions in your life? And that's what it felt like. It, it was as if I was tiptoeing through a minefield, not realising that, that emotionally that's what was happening for me. There was like this eruption and I would, I would be shaking, I would be shutting down, all kinds of um, sensations in my body. And that was kind of normal for me. So the original AA programme I was working, uh, where I was told I was in full flight from reality, there was kind of a, 
you can't deal with reality type of attitude that came with that. That's how I read it. And, and that fitted in perfectly with, with a coping strategy I developed as a young child, which is because I didn't get the love and attention and support from my mum and dad. And I couldn't, um, like children, like, like all mammals, there's like a developmental age that below that age, we just have to have our parents that are going to fight to the death for us because we know that we couldn't, we couldn't survive an attack from the big bear type thing. So I had to come up with a reason why my parents weren't there for me. And I couldn't question them. So they never demonstrated an ability to uh, accept responsibility. So therefore, I took all responsibility on myself. So I always somehow, in some way, shape or form, if there was a problem, it was always my fault. And the book always stopped with me. So I worked the 12 steps and they're, they're subtly uh, changed from each different program one to another. But I was always looking for my defect of character. What is wrong with me that other people don't love me, really? And I got to a point where I'm 20 odd years sober, in sober, I'm saying with rabbit ears, and uh, working the program as best as I can with what I've got. And still practicing this self-alienation all the time. And I got to a point where I was talking with my sponsor, which was about a year ago, my AA sponsor that I've known for a few years now, that I've got a lot of love and trust and respect for. And I'm saying to him, he knows F all about trauma. And I'm in the back of my mind, he doesn't care about me. He doesn't want to know. He's not there for me. And this is the point I get to in every single relationship because the mantra in my life is that nobody gives a... Nobody cares, I want to swear. So, and I'm, I'm wanting to say to him, he knows nothing about trauma. And this is somebody who's um, had, you know, a family member drink themselves to death, two family members commit suicide, and they've been in a war zone. And I'm telling them they know nothing about trauma. And that would obviously have just come across about arrogance. That was the first thing. And the other thing in that conversation is... I was reciting this was going to go wrong and that was going to go wrong and so on and so on. And I now know that this is a trauma-informed certainty. My life had always been that way. So I'm telling my sponsor what I know is going to happen. Now, based on what the big book tells us, that is me creating fear in the future. What I didn't know was that actually my, my resentments based on the past, that checks out with the AA programme my fears and my projections into the future, my shame and my guilt are about things that I've done in the past or that I was something wrong in the past. And the AA programme goes so far towards changing that and it stopped me drinking. I stopped overeating and various different other things. I didn't know I was dealing with trauma. I didn't know. And therefore, the other people around me, I'd selected based on this kind of attitude, reading the big book, following that and so on. What am I trying to say? I don't want to make AA wrong because it isn't. It, 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 does, it does what it's supposed to do. However, I, I had heard if, if you're not happy, you're not working the programme properly because it gets better. And my reality was it wasn't. And then a very dear friend of mine sent me a book, which 
they paid for out of their own pocket. They sent me a book, Pete Walker's, Pete Walker's Complex PTSD book. And they also sent me a YouTube video of Father Juniper. And he lays it all out in the first few minutes where he kind of upsets everyone, where he says he's... He, He's uh, he's gay and he's an alcoholic. He's a drug addict and he's a he's a priest and he's a counsellor. He says so. There's there's an excuse for everyone when you get to the point you don't want to hear what I'm saying. There's an excuse to stop listening because there's something you don't like about me type thing. And um, I kept listening. I listened through to the end, and it just made complete sense. And it just start. I started to get this idea that actually my addiction was to abandonment. And I wasn't in full flight from reality because I didn't understand reality. I didn't experience reality. Yeah, I. I um, so I'm going to go. I'm going to go to near the beginning of life now, and and talk about how I was treated as a kid. Um, don't mean to trigger anybody, but there was an incident where I'd said to my mum, probably about I was about six years of age, and I'd said to my mum that I didn't trust my dad. Now, I don't remember exactly what happened, but sometime after then, now we're living in a block of flats, which is 14 storeys high, and we're living on the third floor. We either travelled up in the staircase or travelled up in the, in the lift or elevator, and uh, we got to the roof. And what I remember is that my dad is holding me off the side of the block of flats, so there's nothing under my feet but air. And then he brings me back on top and he said, see, you can trust me. I didn't drop you. So I had no trust left in those people. And I can, I can feel that stored. I can still feel that in my gut today. Now, that wasn't the right way to treat a little boy. I understand that. Now, if I fast forward, sorry, if I rewind back through my dad's life, where he's, he's left home at an early age, he's gone to Australia, met up with a woman, uh, started a family, she's had enough of him and dropped him. He's then moved to America, started a relationship with a woman, started a family, she's dropped him. He's gone to Canada, he starts a relationship with a woman, he starts a family, she drops him. He comes back to the UK, he has an argument with his mum, over money, family don't tolerate it. They ex him from their lives pretty much. And he moved from London where they lived to another part of the country, Shropshire, where I was born. He then has a son and around the age of six, he finds out from his wife that his son doesn't trust him. So in his world, the most admirable thing he can do is to prove to his son that he won't drop him. Now, I don't, I'm not justifying his behaviour, but somehow that made sense to him. And that came about as a result of doing some reparenting work, which I was shown in AA, sorry, in ACA, where I'm there myself as a six-year-old, and I'm understanding as best I can to empathise with my dad when he was six-year-old, and to understand that really all this is is a product of abandonment. He didn't have any other tools, so in his mind, that's the best he could do. An example of myself in my dysfunction, several years sober, so I've got this necklace now that my, um, yeah, that, that I'm very fond of, 
and my my uh, my eldest daughter had got some vouchers to spend for her birthday, and uh, the youngest one would would be very charismatic and clear in what she wanted. She was the youngest of of two children with me and four children in our in our family, and uh, we went to the shop and I described to the youngest one, look, for 20 minutes, we're going to go around and we're going to support your older sister in buying what she wants because she was always the one that missed out. So that's me trying to be fair. But after 10 or 15 minutes, the youngest one says, Daddy, and I said, well, you know, we said we're just going to make this about your older sister. So anyway, this happened two or three times over the next 10 minutes. So eventually got our level with her and I become intimidating. It's like, now we've talked about this. This is about her time. This is not about yours. You need to be caught. And I know, I know now that I was channeling the way my dad spoke to me. And I know how it felt. And it feels like shit. And that's how I was speaking to my youngest daughter. And she was about six. So she whispered in my ear, Daddy, I've seen a present I want to buy for you. And it's your birthday in a few weeks. So the, the emotional flashback that I was having that channeled what I saw as strength was me abandoning my daughter in the same way as I'd been abandoned. I repeated that pattern. So it's by working through these steps and un understanding, having somebody actually explain to me what unconditional love looks like and then demonstrating it that made the difference. I've got friends in ACA who have, as I've been experiencing, as I've been in my trauma, they've been able to say to me, how old is that reaction, Paul, that you're having right now? It might be an emotional flashback or a physical flashback. How old is that reaction? And then address me and say, do you mind if I speak to your inner child? And it's like, yeah. Paulie, I'm sorry that happened to you. That's really sad. That's that's not okay. That's that didn't feel safe. I I can't I can't change that, but I want you to know that you don't need to put up with that. And that you are deserving of attention and support and love. And I'm there for you. And and go through a repair, actually actually repair of my inner child, so so my inner child knows what it's like, because I believe strongly that what Tony A said about I can't be restored to sanity if I've never known sanity. In the same way as I don't actually know how to recognise unconditional love if if it's never been shown to me. Another way of explaining it is if I walk into a room and I understand. English and French, I walk into a room and there's people speaking 30 different languages. I'm only going to pick out English and French words. I'm only going to pick out English and French language. I'm only going to pick up what I recognise. So I, I first of all need to experience what it's like when other people can become unconditional love. It's not something that I, I do, it's something that I am. The same as I call myself grateful, Paul. For me, gratitude is a way of being. It involves being vulnerable. 
to recognise that what was being given to me, I could not have created for myself. Therefore, there must be a power greater than me. So I, I started to understand that it wasn't just a collection of resentments and fears and guilt and shame, that the shame I was experiencing, and I'd got some understanding of this relationship between shame and trauma as a result of working through the SLAR program, I started to understand it there, but it didn't really address um, my inner child. And, um, You know, I, I learned in AA to take responsibility, but I got it wrong. I corrected that as take responsibility for everything. And then several years sober, I go to Al-Anon and I learn how to uh, set boundaries and to be appropriate as an adult. I didn't know anything about my inner child at that point. I went to SLA to understand that uh, there was a difference between uh, sexual intimacy and emotional intimacy but in a way this was all in my head this all worked for me as an adult but it was bypassing my inner child just over a year ago I walked down the road not far from here and I've got an image of my myself around eight years of age so it's a couple of years after the, uh, um, the, the block of flats situation and I sat poorly on the wall and um, you know, I'm 55 now, I was 54 then and I said to him basically I do know what you've gone through I do know what you've experienced and I do know what you didn't have and I don't know how to work this ACA programme but I know I've got to it's, it, it's wrong to continue to ignore your needs and how you feel and what you've been through can you trust me enough to begin to tell me how you feel and we can work this, somehow work this out together? And that was, that, was the best, that was the best I could do. And to stop pretending, as Bob Earl's book describes, I got tired of pretending. I, I, just, I, just, I, I was just like that teenager caught in a loop of, of should I try this personality on or this personality on? Should I try the way I address my, my youngest daughter? I'll try this, I'll try this. And in a sense, that's, that's all we're trying to do. That's all I've been trying to do. And I've learned, I've learned the difference between... Um, if anything, you know, like so say, for instance, going through the laundry list, if, if now, if I'm going to people please anyone, if I'm going to put somebody else's needs before my own, it's going to be the needs of that little defenseless boy that didn't have any love or gentleness or support shown to him. So if I'm going to um, kind of be codependent, as I learned to describe it in in Al-Anon and in Star, if I'm going to learn to be codependent, I'm going to be dependent on him because by giving myself that gentleness, humour, love and respect, there is a, a pretty remarkable reaction takes place that I start to feel somehow like I'm filling up again if I've had some kind of event. And I'm not saying I'm sorted. I can still, even now, I can still have very poor sleep I can still wake up 
having shakes all over my body, a river of water running down my back. I can still um, oh, not hear from somebody for a little while and, uh, and fill in the gaps that they don't want to know me anymore. So I'll, it seems like I still have this addiction towards abandonment or I can still assume in some way that I'm going to be abandoned and that will trigger my fight, flight, freeze, friend or flop response as I've learned. And all too often it can just be wanting to befriend somebody so that they will, they will not neglect me because it puts me right back to that young child's age where the, the world's a big scary place and I'm defenceless in the world without my parents. And, I, and I, it takes time for me to work that through. Um, so I, I, just, I just needed to express my gratitude to, to both fellowships that I'm even here. And um, I feel really grateful for this meeting to be here because there was no other space that I could speak about all those different issues and all those different fellowships and bring it all together. So it feels, it feels like it, this is helping me come together. I don't know. I hope somebody's got something out of this, but uh, I certainly have. I'll leave it there. Thank you.